All right, let's dive into our Bible study. Philippians chapter 3, I hope you're there by now. Let me just summarize uh, what we've been going through the past three weeks. This is the fourth week, and we're going to conclude and close out our series called When Things Don't Go As Planned. I don't know about you, but in my life, all of my expectations have not been met. All of my plans have not succeeded. I have striven or strived for, for something or, or, uh, or set a goal for myself or really thought my life was going to go in a certain direction, but the Lord had other plans, took me in a different direction. And so I don't know about you, but that's my experience and um, in having conversations with some of you and in just being in the same season of life as, as you are in, um, I'm sure that life hasn't always gone according to your plan. Maybe you've gone through a bad breakup or maybe you um, are in work right now that you aren't really passionate about. Or maybe you went to college and you got a degree and then you graduated from college and then set out in life and then reality hit that getting a job is sometimes difficult, especially related to the field in which you studied. And so maybe life for you hasn't necessarily gone according to the script that you have set out for yourself. This has been our theme verse um, for our series It's out of Proverbs 16.9. Let's say it all together on three. One, two, three. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This is our theme verse out of Proverbs 16.9, that a man's heart, that our hearts plan our way, but we have to be willing to allow the Lord to direct how we get there. We have to allow the Lord to take hold of our life and know that he's in control and allow him to direct our steps. And a lot of times we become frustrated because we are people of control. We need to control our lives. We need to control things. And when things get out of our control, when things step out of those boundaries, we get frustrated and angry because when life doesn't go as planned, we we fall into discouragement. We can fall into depression. We can uh, fall into um, fits of anxiety, um, just become very discouraged with our life in general. But we've been looking at a few different characters in Scripture, and we've taken principles from their lives. When things didn't go according to their plan, how did they respond in life? And so that's the question that we are going to continually be answering and in our study tonight is, as a Christian, how should I respond in life when things don't go as planned? What should be my response when my life doesn't meet the expectations I have for myself? What, how should I respond when my goals aren't met or my expectations aren't fulfilled when life doesn't go according to the plan? So we looked at Joseph in week one. We looked at Daniel in week two. Last week we looked at the character of Ruth and we saw how Ruth responded. And tonight we will be looking at the man of Paul out of Philippians chapter three. Paul's background, a little bit on Paul first. He was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Cilicia was a province of the Roman Empire in southern Turkey. It was along the Mediterranean coast. Um, Paul was a Jew, but he was born a Roman citizen because uh, Cilicia was a province of the Roman Empire. His Hebrew name was Saul. In the the Hebrew, Saul means one who's been asked for. Uh, But he was often referred to as his Roman name, Paul. Because Paul was a man that was on a mission to reach the Gentiles. A Gentile was anyone who wasn't Jewish. So Paul was on a mission to reach the Gentiles, and so he went Gentiles. So he went by his Roman name, Paul. So how did Paul's life not go according to plan? Well, Paul was uh, a Pharisee. 
He studied under an, a very prominent rabbi. His name was Gamaliel. We find his name in Acts. And Paul was a, a Pharisee. And if you were a Pharisee, you had reached um, a supreme level of devout legalistic Judaism. If you were a Pharisee, like, uh, you know, the Pharisees are, are often mentioned within the Gospels. If you were a Pharisee, you were supremely devoted to the law. The ancient regulations, the Old Testament rules and laws, that was a Pharisee. Uh, then he meets Jesus in Acts chapter 9. Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. Why is Paul heading to Damascus? Well, he's heading there to persecute Christians. Because the Christians were saying that this Jesus guy was in fact God. But according to the Pharisees, that was blasphemous. There is no other God uh, besides the God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When in actuality, Jesus was God, manifest in the flesh. But Paul, being a strict legalistic Jew, he said that's blasphemous. He went to persecute Christians. Jesus himself appears to Paul. And Paul then becomes blinded by the glorious appearance of Jesus. And Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul has this conversion experience where he then submits himself to Jesus' lordship. He then goes preaching the good news, preaching the gospel of a risen Jesus Christ who is God. He preaches throughout Asia Minor, throughout Europe, and he is now attempting to win souls for Christ. Within that experience, though, on his missionary journeys, his first missionary journey, he is stoned. In Lystra, that's in Acts 14, he was so much stoned that he was appeared to be dead, the people thought, but he uh, remained alive. His second missionary journey, he was imprisoned in Philippi for being a Christian, then he was released, that's in Acts 16. He was arrested again in Acts 21 in the temple at Jerusalem, and then 40 men plotted to kill Paul, but then he escaped to safety, that's in Acts 23, then he journeyed to Rome, but was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and then he was bitten by a snake. That was um, in Acts uh, 26, I believe. Um, Then he was imprisoned in Rome once he finally reached there. That's where he wrote this book of Philippians. Then he was released from prison. Then he was placed back in prison, and then he was beheaded by the emperor Nero, church history tells us. So if Paul was in his 20s, If Paul was roughly our age, I don't think that those things would have been included in the script of how life would have gone according to the life of Paul. And yet, this is his journey. That's how life didn't didn't go according to the plan. We're going to look at Paul's past real briefly, verses 1 to 11, Paul's present, and then Paul's future. And through those three sections, we're going to see how Paul answered this question. How did Paul respond when things didn't go as planned? So first, looking at Paul's past, read with me in chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But I love verse 7. 
But when thing, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pause there and pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I pray that you would teach us tonight through Paul's life, Lord. When things don't go according to our plan, may we respond how you would like us to respond, Lord. May we trust you with our life. May you direct our steps. May you bring clarity to any confusion we might have about life and our plans. We look to you for all of the answers because you know best, Lord. You are a good father. We look to you and we commit our Bible study to you now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to dissect Paul's past. Look at verse one with me. Finally, my brethren, my brothers, my sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The Greek word for rejoice is the word Cairo, and an obvious form of the word rejoice is the word joy. That is the Greek word kera, and it means a calm delight. The word joy means a calm delight. There's a significant difference between joy and happiness. I think sometimes often we get those two confused and we think they're synonymous. They're not. Happiness is completely dependent upon your circumstances. While joy, you can have joy despite your poor circumstances. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. You might think or say, I'm happy because I got a job. I'm happy because I got a promotion. I'm happy because I passed my exams. Those are circumstantial things that bring happiness, but it is possible to not be happy and yet still have joy because joy supersedes our circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Joy is eternal. And Paul is not telling the Philippian church to rejoice as some kind of candy-coated, fake, or superficial form of happiness. Joy is eternal and in spite of our circumstances. To have joy in the Lord means we don't have to rejoice in our trials, but we can rejoice through our trials and we can rejoice in the Lord who desires to change us through our trials to become more like his son, Jesus. Rejoice not because of your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord in spite of your circumstances because you know that the Lord is in control. Now listen, I'm all about happiness. Being happiness is great. If we had a vote, I am pro-happy. If my wife said, let's watch SportsCenter and can I get you a bowl of ice cream? Yes, I am happy. That is very wonderful. But when we proceed through this life with our ultimate goal as God wants me to be happy, we will always be disappointed because God's goal for our lives is for us to be holy. And then in our holiness, we will then find that joy that always occurs in spite of our poor circumstances. And this is what Paul is saying. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, why is he saying this? Look at verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. So what in the world is Paul talking about here? Well, Paul is warning the Christian church here in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord and not to rejoice in or have any confidence in your own works, in your own flesh. Because 
when Paul says, beware of those dogs, those evil workers, who is Paul talking about? He's talking about a Jewish sect known as the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers, unlike the Pharisees and Sadducees, they believed that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. They believed that Jesus was the way to be saved. However, they believed that it was Jesus plus works. They believed that it was Jesus plus following the Jewish regulations, that it was Jesus plus being circumcised according to Jewish law, that it was Jesus plus following the Jewish feasts. And Paul comes along and says, listen, no, you cannot put your salvation upon your own shoulders and have confidence in your own works. You need to place your confidence in the work that Jesus did for you. So Paul is preaching this message of grace, this message of freedom from the law. Paul, in essence, is saying the confidence of your salvation must not rest on you and your works, but your confidence must rest on the work that Jesus did for you. And this is where we find our 13th principle. When things don't go as planned, ask yourself, in whom or what have I placed my confidence? In whom or what have I placed my confidence? Because I can tell you that if your answer to this question is self, you will always have unmet expectations. You will always be discouraged. You will always go through life feeling unfulfilled. But in fact, if your answer to this is Jesus, I can guarantee you that your worry and that your anxiety about your future will always be met with joy because you know, number one, that God is in control of your future. And number two, that if you submit to the Lord, he is going to work everything out for your good and for his glory. When we place our confidence in ourselves. When we set in life to make plans for ourselves and our confidence rests in our own abilities, we will always be disappointed. But when your confidence rests in Jesus' ability, you will always find that everlasting joy that Paul is talking about here. That is what Paul is addressing when he talks about his past. Now on to Paul's present. Paul's present. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already attained... Or I'm already perfected, but I press on. Circle in your Bibles, press on. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward. Circle in your Bibles, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward, circle, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul's present. This is our principle. Don't rehearse the past. Press on. When things aren't going according to your plans in life, don't rehearse the past and press on. Paul wrote from such spiritual maturity that we would think Paul was writing thinking that he was the best Christian, that he had already attained perfection, that he was as close to God as you can get, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I haven't apprehended or attained perfection. I'm not a perfect guy in essence is what Paul is saying. But listen, I am pressing on. I am pushing towards maturity in Christ. I am continuing to press on in my relationship with Christ. 
Because Paul realized that he hadn't arrived and his only option was to press on. There's no turning back. Paul just had to keep plowing ahead. He couldn't keep rehearsing his past sins. He couldn't keep rehearsing his past mistakes. He couldn't keep rehearsing his past choices. He had to press on in the Lord. Because when we rehearse the past over and over again, it will stunt our progression of maturity in the Lord. It will stunt our growth in Christ. I don't know if you remember Genesis 19. A certain story took place in Genesis 19 where the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, such a wicked and sinful city, the Bible tells us, there was a righteous man living within that city. His name was Lot, and he had two daughters and his wife. And so God, through an angel, tells Lot, listen, Lot, I'm going to destroy the city for the sin that has just permeated throughout this city. I'm going to destroy the city, but listen, I'm going to save you and your family. You are a a righteous man, and I want you to flee the city because I'm going to destroy it. So Lot gathers his family up. They start to flee the city, but he warns them, listen, when I'm destroying the city, you can't look back. Don't look back. And many of you know the story. Lot and his family, they start to proceed out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what does his wife do? She looks back. And the Bible tells us that she turned into a pillar of salt. That was the consequence, I guess. A sore subject at the dinner table every time they asked to pass the salt, they thought of mom. She turns into a pillar of salt. That was her consequence. And the Bible says that she looked back. The phrase to look back is actually one word in the Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word navat. And it doesn't mean to just glance real quick. It means to gaze with longing. To gaze with longing. If you're a dog lover... It's the way you look at that brand new little puppy through the window, just to gaze with longing on this young pup. I will never say pup again. (laughs) That was weird. If you're a car lover, it's the way you look at a brand new model car on the showroom floor. All right, it was the way my wife first looked at me when we first met. It's the way my dad looks at Krispy Kreme donuts, gazes with longing. Me likey, I must have you Krispy Kreme. To gaze with longing. And this is what some of us as Christians do. We gaze with longing on the past, but sometimes it's not for the right reasons because we are mulling over our past sins and our past mistakes and our past shame. And when we rehearse the past over and over and over again, we will not be able to move forward in the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, when things aren't going according to the plan, when you look back, maybe you're like, why did I major in that? Why did I study that? Why did I do that? And then we mull on the history of our past. We will have the tendency to not progress and move forward in maturity in Christ. And if you are still holding on to shame or guilt from your past, Give it to the Lord today. Maybe you already have, but you still just haven't forgiven yourself of some of those poor choices, some of those sins, some of those mistakes, because you've been dwelling on the shame of your past sin. But the Bible tells us when we come to the Lord and when we repent and when we turn from our sin and when we ask the Lord for forgiveness, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Bible also says that in Psalm 103, So far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
When we come to the Lord and we repent of sin, when we ask for forgiveness of our poor choices of our past, the Lord is faithful to forgive us, so why can't we move on? Stop dwelling on the past, stop rehearsing the past, stop rehearsing the poor decisions of your past, and move on in maturity in the Lord. The Lord doesn't hold our sin against us any longer when we come to him and ask for forgiveness. And so he wants us to press on. So maybe life hasn't quite gone according to your plan and you keep thinking about the poor choices of your past that led you to here. Or maybe, you're, maybe it's not even necessarily a, a poor choice, like a sinful choice, but maybe it's just you shouldn't have uh, studied this in college or maybe you shouldn't have gone here to work. Maybe you shouldn't have been in this relationship. Okay, that's fine. But once you've realized that maybe that wasn't the best for you, you're here. And to dwell on that past is only going to stunt your future and your progression in the Lord. Just move on, press on. Paul uses this terminology to press on, to reach toward, because there's a greater goal in mind, maturing in the Lord. Fix your eyes on the Lord. And this brings us to finally Paul's future. Look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. Beautiful verses there. Our final principle, when things don't go as planned, fix your focus on the eternal. When things don't go as planned, fix your focus on the eternal. Paul is saying here within these verses, 17 to 21, there are so many people who have their gaze and focus and attention fixed on what is temporary. Paul is challenging the Philippian church. Stop setting your mind on earthly things. Stop thinking about the temporary. Stop focusing and being consumed with the temporary, but look to the eternal. He says their end is destruction. He says their God is their belly. Now, what does that mean? Not, it's not necessarily that meaning that they were focused on their food, that they were only focused on what they ate, but it's a broader general sense to mean that they were only focused on their own personal pleasure. They were only focusing on the here and now. They were only focusing on how can I be um, gratified within this life? How can, I be, how can I be satisfied by material needs? They were only fixed on the temporary. He says their glory is in their shame. Paul is saying that they were actually proud about the things that they should have been ashamed about. This is so our culture. And Paul is saying, set your mind on things above. He says they set their mind on earthly things. This describes their life. Their, their main goal was to please and worship the self. And Paul is cautioning them against that. He says our main objective in life is to worship and please the Lord. And I love verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So fix your gaze on the eternal. Guys, listen, when things aren't going according to your plan, know that this is just temporary. All right, this is life. This world is going to go by in the blink of an eye. 
This world is so temporary. This is only a season. When things aren't going according to the plan of your life, maybe you're walking through something really difficult right now. Take, take courage by Paul's words here. He says, listen, don't be so focused on the temporary. Don't be so focused on your temporary struggles. Don't be so focused and, and fixated on your temporary worries. We live in the here and now, but it's gone in, in a moment. It's gone in a flash. But the thing we need to be fixated on, the thing we need to have our gaze upon, the thing we need to be so infatuated with is not here in this world. It's on the Lord and it's on the things of eternal. Because one day, guys, if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus, you repented of sin, you've turned from your sin, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, we're going to be together in heaven and that's going to be our eternity. But sometimes we are so focused on just the temporary worries of life. When Paul calls us, to press on and focus on the eternal. Our problems always look big when we're looking at our problems through the lens of a magnifying glass. But when we take our problems outside of the magnifying glass and we present our, our big problems, our seemingly big problems, to an even bigger God, our problems are going to look so small. So I encourage you, take the problems that you might have in life, take your struggles, take your worries, whatever might be going on in your life right now, Take it from underneath the magnifying glass. Stop focusing on it through that lens. Put your big problems and give it to a bigger God and watch how the Lord will just make that worry, that anxiety, that thought, this season so small comparatively to how big of a God he is. And that's what he calls us to do. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, listen, our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And one day that is gonna be awesome. That's going to be our eternity. So stop focusing on the small things and focus on how big your God is. And so that's our conclusion of when things don't go as planned. And from Paul, we learned, ask yourself, in whom or what have I placed my confidence? Don't rehearse the past, but press on and then fix your focus on the eternal. So I pray that this series has been encouraging to you guys. When life doesn't go as planned, trust God. Trust God. If I had to sum up this series and the 15 points in, in one phrase, it would be trust God. He's got you in the palm of his hands. He loves you and he's going to take care of you. But you need only to trust God and watch him work out all of the twists and turns, all of the curveballs in your life. He's going to work everything out according to your good and his glory. So trust him. Trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we do ask, Lord, that we wouldn't be so fixated on our problems, that we wouldn't be so worried about our temporary struggles, that we wouldn't be so just fixated on the small things we might worry about. Lord, we have so, so many things that we might be confused about or we have so many things that we, we need clarity for and we need direction. And so, Lord, as we do our best to plan our ways through this life, I pray that you would take us by the hand, that you would direct our steps, Lord. I want to take a moment just to pray for anyone here now who might be confused or might just need direction in life, who might need clarity about this season of life. I pray that you would take them by the hand, Lord, that you would walk through this life with them. 
that you would show them how big of a God you are, that you would take our problems in the palm of your hand and that you would work everything out that you might be glorified, Lord. Lord, you tell us in, in your word to give us all of our, give you all of our cares, give you all of our worries because you care for us. And so right now, Lord, we do that, Lord. We fall on our knees and we ask, Lord, that you would take our worries, that you would tank, take our anxieties, that you would take our stress, that you would take anything we might be just fixated on, Lord. If it's not you, Lord, we don't want to be focused on it, but we want to be focused on you because you promised to take care of everything. May our focus and our gaze and our eyes be fixated on your son, Jesus. And we trust you to take care of us, Lord. When things don't go as planned, we trust you. We trust you because you're a good father. You're a good dad who loves to take care of his children. So we submit to your plans, Lord. We submit to your will for our lives. And we ask that anytime we might be worried, we would immediately pray. Because you love us, Lord. And we love you so much, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Joseph and Daniel, Ruth and Paul, the encouragement we've gleaned from them, Lord. I pray now that you would guide us and direct us as we do our best to walk through this life. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.